0: Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as personalized recommendations or fiduciary advice. It is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for any investment, accounting, legal, and tax advice, or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management, may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, everybody. This is Brent Foster. This is the Weekly Market Insights. Stocks jump after inflation gauge cools. So basically, a Friday surge pushed stocks solidly into positive territory last week, ignited by cooling uh, an inflation gauge closely tracked by the Federal Reserve. The Dow Jones Industrial Average advanced 0.66%, while the S&P 500 climbed 1.01%. The NASDAQ Composite Index rose 2.02% for the week. The MSCI EFA Index, which tracks developed overseas stock markets, gained 0.74%. So what does that mean for the Dow? Dow closed at 35,459. That's up 6.98% for the week. The NASDAQ closed at 14316 uh, that's up 36.79% for the year. The MSCI EF index closed at 2,192. That's up 12.80% for the year. Uh, SP 500 closed at 4,582. That's up 19.34% for the year. 10 year Treasury note closed at 396 And year to date, that's pretty much flat. Um, we've got stocks were flat for much of last week amid a batch of new earnings. A 0.25% interest rate hike and strong economic data. After beginning with gains, stocks lost momentum following the Fed's expected rate hike announcement on Wednesday. A bounce on Thursday sparked by a positive mega cap tech company. Earnings reversed after bond yields increased. So stocks recovered strongly Friday on release of the personal consumption expenditures price index, which fell to its lowest level in two years. Much of the market action was related to earnings results, which 44% of the S&P 500 companies reporting, 78% of exceeded Wall Street's forecasts. So recession deferred. Expectations of a recession were high coming into 2023. Last week may have erased this recession narrative overhang. Second quarter gross domestic product data released last week was one of the big reasons why economic activity expanded by 2.4%, which was above the forecast of 2% and represented an acceleration from its first quarter GDP of 2%. Consumer spending was a major driver of that expansion, rising 1.6%. Joining the recession-deferred camp this week was Fed Chair Powell, who stated that the Fed was no longer forecasting a recession. So we've got key economic data. We've got Tuesday Institute for Supply Chain Management, or ISM, uh, uh, JOLTS survey as well, uh, ADP Employment Report, Jobless Claims Institute of Supply Management Services Index on Thursday, Friday, employment situation. So um, some some notable uh, economic indicators this week that we'll be tracking. Notable companies reporting earnings. Uh, Monday, Arista Networks uh, on semiconductors. On Tuesday, Advanced Micro Devices, Pfizer, Caterpillar, Starbucks, Merck. Prudential, Rockwell Automation, Wednesday, CVS Health, Qualcomm, uh, PayPal, Shopify, Abermoral, Emerson Electric and Humana, Thursday, Apple, Block, Gilead, Amgen, Cigna, Occidental Petroleum, Fortnite, ConocoPhillips, Booking Holdings, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals and Friday, EOG Resources. So who qualifies for the child and dependent care tax credits? This is your tax tip for the week. Let's outline who the Internal Revenue Service defines as a qualifying person under the care credit. So uh, number one, a taxpayer's dependent who is under the age of 13 when the care is provided. And number two, a taxpayer's spouse who cannot care for themselves has lived with uh, the taxpayer for more than half the year. In addition to spouses and dependents, the credit may also cover someone who is mentally or physically unable to care for themselves and lives with the taxpayer for six months. This is the case if that person was the taxpayer's dependent or if they would have been the taxpayer's dependent except for one of the following. So here's the exceptions. Number one, the qualifying person received a gross income of $4,400 or more. Number two, the qualifying person filed a joint return. And number three, if filing jointly, the taxpayer's spouse could be claimed as dependent on someone else's return. And as a reminder, this information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax professional. This tip was adapted from irs.gov. All right, on to the next segment. Stay tuned got an article here that I want to share with you. It's money tips for parents sending children off to college. Um, I've sent this out to my client base. Uh, It's a good resource. So here we go. You've done a great job teaching your children vital life lessons and instilling values that will last a lifetime. As summer ends and a new school year begins, one thing that shouldn't be overlooked, especially for college bound children is the money talk. Having open, honest discussions about finances can help shape your child's long-term relationship with money, which might set them up for financial se- success. Which might set them up for financial success later in life. So, understanding money, you guys. Only 23% of students learned about finances in high school, so that means about 77% really haven't. Um, and that that data comes from insights at College Pulse. Dot com 2023 data. So financial literacy is one of the most crucial yet often overlooked skills that young individuals can develop. Unfortunately, most high schools do not offer financial education. Hopefully that changes. Uh, people need to be more aware of it. But according to the Council for Economic Educationally, 21 states have personal finance coursework requirements in their high schools. Although this number has increased in recent years, parents still bear much of the responsibility for providing financial education to today's college students. Although teaching basic money management skills is helpful, introducing more advanced financial literacy concepts to your children is important. While this may appear to be overwhelming, it does not have to be. Here are some steps you can take to prepare your college-bound children or grandchildren. So Uh, Starting with the basics, such as banking and budgeting, can establish a solid foundation for your children's financial futures. Consider the following ideas. So adding up the confidence, and here's a stat before I do that, uh, only 7% of students rate financial knowledge uh, as excellent. Wow. So good uh, ratings are 35%, fair 46%, and poor about 12%. Um, so step 1, you guys, open a checking account for your child. Your college student may need access to cash, so opening a checking account for them is worth considering even if your child does not have a steady job or income. A checking account can still be useful for accessing automated teller machines or paying bills each month. Online banking and mobile apps have been have made managing accounts significantly easier than before and your child will likely adapt quickly to these technologies and probably be able to teach you a few things before long. If you, uh, you may want to set up an account that allows your accounts to be connected. This arrangement enables you to monitor your child's balance and track their spending while they cannot view this activity in your account. Uh, you can still view theirs. So overdraft fees can accumulate in a checking account, but by keeping an eye on your child's account, you can receive notifications when the balance falls below a specified amount. So you can set up alerts to do that. At that point, you can seamlessly transfer money from your account to your child's account. Um, number two, step number two, consider a monthly allowance for your college student. Hopefully you're doing this type of stuff prior to college. Hopefully this is something you're doing now when your kids are young and those that have kids my age is like six. I'm already starting to do that. My wife and I are together in that. So the earlier you start, the better in teaching them the way. So step two, again, consider a monthly allowance for your college student. In addition to the budget you have established for your child's college expenses, such as tuition, room, board, and books, it is important to recognize that there will be additional costs throughout their college career. These expenses may include transportation, clothing, personal items, and entertainment. According to the college board, for the 2022 to 2023 academic year, These expenses can range from $1,830 at private private colleges to $2,200 at public universities. However, these figures can be underestimated, especially if your child opts for takeout instead of dining hall meals. Some examples of personal expenses in college are technology and electronics, clothing, Greek life, studying abroad, transportation, traveling to and from home, books and supplies, health insurance and medical costs, dining out, Wi-Fi and other online learning expenses and emergencies. To manage these costs effectively while teaching your child the value of money, providing them with a monthly allowance can be a helpful approach. Although the concept of an allowance may seem old-fashioned, it can serve as a valuable tool for college students. It is important to discuss the purpose of the allowance up front, including the types of expenses it should cover and those it should not cover, like beer or something like that. Once you uh, estimate the amount your child may need to cover expenses, consider depositing that amount into their account at the same time each month. Communicate to your child that they are responsible for managing all of their expenses. And if they run out of money before the end of the month, they will need to prioritize their spending. Preparing a monthly allowance can offer several benefits including number one, introducing a limited income that requires making financial choices. Number two, providing consistency and predictability in a monthly cash flow, which can help alleviate financial anxiety. Number three, allowing students to learn about um, allowing students to learn about managing monthly cash flow before entering the professional world. Number four, offering an opportunity to practice budgeting skills that will be valuable throughout their lives. While your child may not initially appreciate the fiscal discipline enforced through an allowance, they will eventually understand the importance of the structure that you have provided. Number three, encourage a part-time job. So encouraging your child to work part-time can be an excellent way for them to develop time management skills and gain access to additional spending money beyond what you can provide. It can also provide valuable lessons in responsibility and work ethic. They may have the freedom to use their own earnings to attend concerts or, or purchase the latest merchandise from the school bookstore. Step four, consider student credit cards. Student credit cards are specifically designed for college students who have limited experience with credit cards. Some student credit cards offer cashback rewards for good grades or have lower annual fees. If you teach your child to use a credit card for a small purchase or emergencies and emphasize the importance of paying off the balance in full every month, they can begin building a credit score. However, credit cards are not suitable for everyone. If you feel that your child is not yet ready to have a credit card in their name, you can add them as an authorized user on your credit card. As a parent, You know your child better than anyone. So if you believe that having a credit card may lead to unhealthy financial behaviors, it may be wise to forego it altogether. All right. A real life example. Here we go. One, let's see a real life example. Here we go. One of our clients consulted with us last fall as their oldest child was heading off to college. They recently shared their experience and the steps they took to prepare their child for college. So Number one, set up a bank account for their daughter and linked it to theirs. Number two, got her debit card and credit card from her bank in her name to start building credit. Number three, made her an authorized user on one of their credit cards for emergencies. Number four, showed their daughter how to monitor her balances and transfer money from checking to pay off her credit card. Number five. Helped her set up her own Amazon account with her credit card. Number six, helped her set up her own PayPal and Venmo account. Number seven, helped her set up her own Uber account. Number eight, changed all of their passwords on their Amazon, PayPal, and Uber accounts. Number nine, scheduled an auto deposit of an allowance of $150 every other week. And this was to mirror a typical bi-weekly payroll process. And number 10, clarified ahead of time what they would contribute to spring break sorority dues, excursions, and other potentially gray areas of expenses. Overall, they found this approach to be successful, although some negotiation was required along the way. They learned a valuable lesson about not giving their daughter access to their credit card for emergencies as it led to abuse. They subsequently shifted to having their daughter pay for everything on her own credit card and if they agreed to cover an expense they would transfer the money into her checking account. This adjustment resulted in fewer requests from the daughter. So don't wait to have that money talk, you guys. Even if your child is already heading off to college this fall, it is not too late to have an important conversation about finances and economics and set them on a path to financial success. We hope that these suggestions and real-life example provided are helpful to you. Note, we hope that these suggestions and the real life example provided are helpful to you. Implementing these measures can greatly benefit your children in the years to come. Remember, we're here to help. If you have any questions or would like to meet with us about your college-bound child, please do not hesitate to reach out to Northbound Wealth Management. We'd be happy to chat with you. All right, on to the next segment. Hey everyone, here's a tax smart way to develop and sell appreciated land. This article, I came across Peachin, Schwartz, and Weingart, certified public accountants. They happen to be my CPA. And uh, and uh, I, I came across this article. I'm, uh, I subscribed to some of their information that they send out. And I thought this one was a good one. So let's say you own highly appreciated land that is now ripe for development. If you subdivide it, develop the resulting parcels and sell them off for a hefty profit, it could trigger a large tax bill. In this scenario, the tax rules generally treat you as a real estate dealer. That means your entire profit, including the portion from the pre-development appreciation and the value of the land, will be treated as high-taxed ordinary income subject to a federal rate of up to 37%. You may also owe that 3.8% net investment income, or NIIT, for a combined federal rate of up to 40.8%, and you may owe state income tax too. It would be better if you would arrange to pay lower long-term capital gains or LTCG tax rates on at least part of the profit. The current maximum federal income tax rate on LT long-term capital gains is 20%, or 23.8% if you owe the N-I-I-T or the uh, net investment income tax. Uh, potential tax savings solution. Thankfully, there's a strategy that allows favorable long-term capital gains tax treatment for all the pre-developed appreciation in the land value. You must have held the land for more than one year for investment, as opposed to holding it as a real estate dealer. The portion of your profit attributable to subsequent subdividing, development, and marketing activities will still be considered high taxed ordinary income because you'll be considered a real estate dealer for that part of the process. But if you can manage to pay 20% or 23.8% federal income tax on a big chunk of your profit, the pre-development appreciation part, that's something to celebrate. Here's the three step strategy that could result in paying a smaller tax bill on your real estate development profits. Number one, establish an S corp. So if you individually own the appreciated land, you can establish an S corp owned solely by you to function as the developer. If you own the land via a partnership or via a LLC treated as a partnership for federal tax purposes, you and the other partners, LLC members, can form the S-Corp and receive corporate stock in proportion to your percentage partnership uh, interests in the LLC. So number two, sell the land to the S-Corp. So then you sell the appreciated Uh, land to the S-Corp for a price equal to the land's pre-development fair market value. If necessary, you can arrange a sale that involves only a little cash and a big installment note the S-Corp owes you. The business will pay off the note with cash generated by selling off parcels after development. The sale to the S-Corp will trigger a a long-term capital gains eligible for the 20% or 23.8% rate, as long as you held the land for investment and owned it for over one year. Number three, develop the property and sell it off. So the S-Corp will subdivide and develop the property, market it and sell it off. The profit from these activities will be higher taxed ordinary income passed through to you as a S-Corp shareholder. If If the profit is big, you'll probably pay the maximum 37% federal rate or 40.8% with the NIIT. However, the average tax rate on your total profit will be much lower because a big part will be lower taxed long-term capital gains from the pre-development appreciation. So favorable treatment, thanks to the tax treatment created by this S Corp developer strategy, you can lock in favorable treatment for the land's pre-development appreciation. That's a huge tax-saving advantage if the, the land has gone up in value. Consult with us if you have any questions or want more information. And again, this article came from uh, the CPAs that I utilize over at Peachin, Schwartz, and Weingart, Certified Public Accountants, and they're located right here in Fishers, Indiana. Thank you for listening to the Northbound Wealth Management Weekly Market Insights with your host, Brent Foster, founder and CEO of Northbound Wealth Management. Until next week, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon.